I mean, he's been putting in work for so long. Putting in a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Putting in Work, episode 74 of the interview podcast on the 8-Bit Collective, powered by Audio Technica. And this week, we've got Sean Thomas on the show. We'll get to that in a minute, because first, our iTunes review of the week. It goes to Not Fat Vox, who says, Amazing podcast. Jono isn't afraid to ask the hard questions. Really worth diving into. Thank you so much. And keep those reviews coming because I think we're out again. But I'm sure that you guys will deliver. You always do. I just have to insert a little note here to say a shout out to everyone in the Australian Gaming Podcast Network who came out to the Melbourne community meetup. It was a really great time with some of our friends from 8-Bit and a few other podcast groups. There was a particular Nintendo 64 Smash game at Bartronica that I have to give a shout out to Jack Cruz for winning. Unfortunately, you can hear the sadness in my voice. Uh, he was the last man standing, and despite my 11 kills to his one, he was the victor, so I must acknowledge that right here and right now. It is what it is. So, Sean Thomas is someone that I've had my eye on for a while for this podcast. A while ago, I had Nick Cascarella from AV Youth on here, the fashion label, and Sean does a lot of work with Nick. They do a podcast together. He's involved in a lot of the shooting for the AV Youth marketing because that's what he does. He shoots videos, mostly music videos. He's also a rapper, a very talented man. He shot music videos all over the world. He's been to Sweden, India. Some of his stuff has just blown up. I saw one of his videos had 7 million views or something, which is crazy. He's worked with Adidas and a whole lot of cool brands, including CD Projekt Red, or as the Polish say, CD Projekt Red, the video game development studio, who's just revealed Cyberpunk 2077 at E3, which is where he was to shoot some footage of their booth in Los Angeles. I really wanted to hear that story, so I thought it was the perfect time to get him on the show and just find out how he got to this point as a full-time director. It's really cool to hear his thoughts about imposter syndrome. As someone who doesn't have an education in this field, he's completely self-taught and has just done really well for himself. So, inspiring stuff. Here he is. Hope you enjoyed the show. It's Sean Thomas. Thank you for joining me, Sean, Mr. California over here. <laughs> no problem, man. Thanks for having me. That's all right. You just mentioned before we started recording, uh, moving out from the East Coast. Where are you originally from? So I'm from, well, okay. So I say I'm from Boston. I grew up on this little island called Cape Cod. It's where, you know, it's where the pilgrims landed. I've heard of that. Founded yeah. America. Yeah. Uh, so that's where I'm from. But I went to college in Boston for like five years. And, uh, and then after that, I decided to move out to LA. But if anyone asks, I'm from Boston. Sure. It's all the same. Do you identify as a Bostonian? Uh, no, because <laughs> uh, honestly, so here's, here's my problem. Cause you're not into that, sports. Is that pretty much where it? <laughs> okay. Well, so it's funny you picked up on that. I don't care about sports at all. Uh, but Bostonians are like, we call them townies in Boston. Like people who grew up, those are the people, like when you think of a Bostonian or a townie, like those are the people with the accents. Like those are the firefighters and the police officers and shit like that. The Ben Affleck um, movies, yeah, yeah, exactly. Literally any stereotype you can think of. I would, I would say that I feel more like a just like an East Coaster. I think that's a big, especially being out in LA. Like that's a big unifier. It's like, oh, you're from if you're from Philadelphia, it's like, oh, you kind of understand where I'm from. You mm. know what I mean? Sure. And was moving to the West Coast simply a part of this journey that you're on with all the work that you've been doing creatively? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a very late part of that process. Long story short, I had met a. I'd met Raja Kumari, who's an artist I've worked with since I was, since 2016. And 
I'd come out here actually in the very beginning of 2016, completely unrelated to her. And I'd worked on a music video for another kid. And it was my first time in LA. My friend's girlfriend was from LA and she was like, Oh, Sean, like you make music, you do videos. Like you should totally move to LA. Like LA is the place for you. And I came out here for the, for the week to shoot videos for that kid. And I was like, I mean, this place is like fine. It's like, when I came out, it was, it was cold. It was like December. It was like 56 degrees ish. It was like overcast. And I was like, who cares about this place? Like, <laughs> like I don't, I don't see the big deal, but that weekend I got introduced to Raja and like it, nothing actually came of it. It was like a, Hey, what's up? Nice to meet you. Like, and it was her birthday. So she like ran off and did her thing. Uh, but she had just been signed to Epic records and just in the back of my head, I was like, you know what? I'm going to make a video for Raja. And I'm, you know, I bet I can make that happen. And uh, lo and behold, I did shot a bunch of videos for her. And after I had worked on those couple of videos, I was like, oh, I should move to L.A. now, I think, because like <laughs> all of a sudden my my creative work had traction. Like back in Boston, like I was a I was a good creative. I was like kind of like the go to guy for for like a lot of people around town. But there's just a ceiling like at some point there's a creative ceiling. And I think sure. that the. In a lot of ways, people will think that the internet has bridged the gap with that. And it has like, it, I mean, if, if not for the internet, I wouldn't have been able to have like connect with Raja after I met her. But there is definitely something to be said for like out of sight, out of mind with a lot of this stuff. Uh-huh. And uh, being like the dude in LA has given me a lot more opportunities than not. Um, that was a big fucking gamble, man. I was just talking to Nick, uh, like my best friend roommate, different Nick than the guy on AV youth with. And, uh, it was a big gamble and like, and you love when you take risks like that and they pay off. Like, because if I were to look back, if I were to meet somebody else who like was living in Boston, right? Uh, dude, I'm going to move out to LA. I'm going to have no job and I'm just going to like freelance video work full time. I'd be like, okay, you're fucking high, my friend. Like, but you know, like made the right connections, like did the right amount of work and things have like worked out for me out here. But it was like, a fucking massive risk. Yeah. I like to call it the Cape Cod boomerang. If, if things went home, I just, or things went bad, I just boomerang right back to Cape Cod. It's good to have a safety net, I guess, in, in that regard. Yeah. So yeah. we've kind of touched on a little bit of what you're actually doing out there. How do you describe yourself when you meet people at parties? Like, do you say I'm a musician? Do you say I'm a, like, do you go straight to the video side of things or what do you, what do you tell them? I think that generally I, I would introduce myself. Like I, I generally say like, oh, like I make music and I make music videos. Hmm. Um, it's weird. I didn't go to school for video work. So I treat it a lot like, uh, I have like very big imposter syndrome about it. Like I feel like I don't deserve to tell people I'm a, I'm a, like a director or a cinematographer or whatever, because like I, a lot of times feel like I'm winging it and that things just like shake out for me. <laughs> and, uh, and at a certain point, like I know that I've put in like a lot of work to get to where I'm trying to, to go, but I, there's just some part of me that can't shake. Like, Oh, uh, there are people who spent like $200,000 to go to <laughs> school to do this. And I just like wanted to make rap videos and now I get to do it full time. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But yeah, I mean, I, I would describe myself as like a, a rapper and a music video director. Sure. Well, I guess that's the beauty of art is that you don't need to learn about the Renaissance and all those right. techniques and things to be an artist. Like you can just pick up a can of spray paint and, and go to work or <clears throat> it's the same with acting, I guess. You've got people that went to Juilliard yeah. and they learned Shakespeare and then you've got people who just are funny and know yeah, how to that's true. portray that on camera and come up really well. So, I mean, yeah. 
I guess that's just one of those things you work through as a creative is comparing yourself to others and and all that. But I guess you believed in yourself enough to move out there and to put yourself out there to to do work for people. So how did you get to that point? Did you always kind of mess around with music and video in high school and stuff as well? Yeah, so the way... And this, I think, is probably another big, like, mental problem for me is I found my way to video work, like, extremely through the back door. And it was, like, never been a dude who, like, loves movies or, like, I mean, I like movies. And actually, as of late, I've, like, loved them more and more. But I I don't know. Like, I just, like, never really cared about that shit. But I always loved music videos. And uh, I was 16 and I was was writing a lot of music and I had learned how to record myself. So I bought, like, a duet and I had, like, all this shit, all this, like, hardware in my house. So, you know, I, I learned how to record all this stuff and I was hiring people. I was, I was recording people. I was getting hired to like record people around town. And, uh, we were at the time hiring photographers and videographers to make videos for these kids that we were like basically acting like we were managing. I was like fucking 16 with a production house in in my grandma's house. And, uh, (laughs) we were like taking a small percentage, like tacked on to what these people were doing the work for. And I was like, you know what? I think I could just do that myself, actually. And we bought a camera with money that we had saved up. And I went and started taking photos. That was like the first thing I started to do. And um, then a couple years later, I had this camera. I didn't really use it much. And I paid a kid for a music video. And the music video cost me like $500. I was 18. And I was like, oh, boy, that's a lot of money. Especially like to pay the loan at eighteen. Like generally, when you're charging like bands or something, that makes more sense. But alone, I was like, "Boy, I don't, I can't keep doing this." So I got a camera, or I had the camera, and I was like, "You know what? I think I could do this." And I started to make music videos for myself and my friends. Then you know, as I moved to Boston, that was like my focus all throughout college. Like I didn't. I got my degree in marketing communications, but it was never my focus. Like all I wanted to do was like make music and make videos. And, uh, I just, I found a way to like weasel that into like any conversation I had. And I was just like, I was shooting, I was Mm. punching way above my weight class. Like the first time that I went to uh, LA to shoot a video, this is actually a crazy story. I don't know if I've ever told this. Um, I was hitting up this kid. His name is LaShawn Ellis. He's like not even like a big rapper, but he was a rapper that one of my friends had heard of and he decided that I should hit him up and whatever. And uh, I had already booked a trip to LA and uh, I just kept DMing him. And I was like, yo, dude, I'm going to be in LA. Like, check out this video I shot. Like, let me know what you think. And he hit me back and we had talked a little bit. And even up until like the night before when I left, like I didn't know if he was going to work with me. I didn't know what I was going to do. And uh, when I landed, he was like, yo, me and my friends are going to pick you up from the airport. And like, dude, I had never met, picked me up from LAX, drove me to his house in Temecula. And I stayed out there. It's like wine country in California. I stayed there for two days or one day. And I made three videos over the course of a day. And uh, if I never did that, like that DM it is honestly sort of like the domino effect. It would prove to be like my number one way of like getting important jobs because like I had nothing, you had nothing to lose, right? Like, yeah. Like I knew this kid didn't have like a million followers. I'd reach out and like, if he, if he hit me up and wanted to do a video, then great. And if he didn't, then I was still going to California anyway, you know? So that was the weekend that I met Raja. And then a couple months later, uh, in March of that year. So I went out there in January, I met her and then I DM'd her in March. 
I had actually posted on my Twitter. I, all this shit happens through Twitter. I don't know how, <laughs> but I was like, I tweeted a screenshot out of, of my notepad saying that like, oh, th- this is how many videos I've directed and it's only March or whatever. And it's like 12 videos. And she just added me and was like, yo, like we should work. And I'm just like sitting in class, like freaking out, like looking at my phone. And now it's funny to think because like back then Raja had like, I don't know, like 3,000 Twitter followers and like less than 10,000 Instagram followers. And I was still like bugging out because <laughs> she was like signed to Epic Records. And uh, I booked a plane ticket to go to LA, hoping, just hoping that I could like make it work with her. And I was out there for half a week. And then she was like, oh, hey, like I'm free now. We should like link up and talk about this video. And uh, it was after we shot the mute video was when, which is the first video we shot together. Um, that video was like, <laughs> it went it went crazy. Like it got a premiere in paper magazine It Timbaland tweeted it out. All these celebrities tweeted it out. Like the CEO of Epic records saw it, like all this shit. And that was the first time that my work had been seen on like any sort of real scale. It was the first time I ever felt like validated. And I was working at this place that makes these like 3d pop-up cards the whole time the video was going live. And I'm like sitting my phone's exploding and I'm just like freaking out. And I find out that future, the rapper and DJ Khaled, we're going to see the music video. And, uh, and I text big Nick and I was like, dude, holy shit. Like this just happened. And he was like, man, like, how do you feel? And I just started to cry because it was like the first time I'd ever like, I don't know, man, like, like, you know, like we're talking about how, like, I don't, it's funny you use the the term, like, when did you like believe in yourself enough to do it? Like the thing is like, I kind of don't mm. in a way. Like, uh, I think that <laughs> I, it's it's a dichotomy, right? Because like on one hand, I I think like my shit doesn't smell, and I think I make the greatest stuff ever. And then other times, I'm like, why does anyone pay me to touch my camera? Like, I just shouldn't do it. And uh, in that moment, I was just overwhelmed because I was like, it wasn't like I made it, but it was like this is the closest you've been to making it in a long time. Like your the work is like finally starting to pay off. And uh, yeah, I think that lately the my big thing that I've been trying to overcome is that like imposter syndrome and that feeling like I'm, you know, undeserving or whatever, because uh, in the moment that belief that I wasn't good enough, I think is the only, it is like my number one thing that drives me to be better at everything, whether it was like playing guitar when I was a kid or making music or making videos. It's like, if I see somebody that I can compete with, or I see somebody that, or, or even if I just think that like, uh, like, I, I don't think I'm like good enough. So I like, I have this obsession with like learning how to do better and and be better and, and make things better. Um, but back to the original question you asked about, like, when did I think <laughs> it was the right time to move out here? So after the mute video, I came home and I was like, guys, I think I should move to LA, which of course, like every creative in the world, like thinks they should move to LA, you know? And, and all my friends in Boston are, are creatives and they're all kind of jaded and they're like, I don't think that's the smartest thing, dude. Like you're talented. You like know some people, but like, you're going to just, move to los angeles leave like everything out here like you're stupid um after the the mute video went on paper mag and timbaland tweeted it out and then raja decided she was gonna find me back out there i was like oh maybe i should live out there because maybe there's people other than raja or who knows what's gonna happen with her where this could like really blow up for me but la i knew which is where like all the creative people were and i think that uh i may have gotten like tricked into that because like i have friends who are celebrities and i have friends who have other funding that you don't really see up front. And I was like, Oh, these people like no one has a real job. Like LA is cool as hell. And then, uh, that fantasy gets stripped away a little bit, but deciding <laughs> to move out here was, was definitely a risk. Okay. So 
I feel like we've kind of skipped over how you got there because you can't just have an interest and try something and be good at it. What was the process of actually developing that skill as a, you know, director and as the person holding the camera? Like, was it trial and error? You mentioned you didn't have any formal background in that side of production. So, was it just trying to emulate videos that you were a fan of or how did you actually hone that skill? That's a good question. Um, It was honestly like using my friends as guinea pigs. Um, and I feel like every creative can look back on projects and be like, Oh, this was the, this was where things changed. Like this is the, this is the, you know, photo I took that I realized I could do this or whatever. And, uh, for me, I've been working on videos for myself that were like, whatever. And like, I'm a bad creative and that like I do now, I did not at the time consume a lot of the content I was trying to emulate. So it was really just like me and my friends like, oh, this place looks kind of cool. Like we'll shoot a verse here and then we'll edit it. Mm. So I just had like very fortunately for me, like all my friends make music. So there was no shortage of people that I could like shoot free music videos for. There was a kid at the time I was only shooting music videos for myself and uh, they were not great, but they were videos. But that for me was like the best case scenario because it was consequence free. And uh, as I started to practice more on, on my friends was when I felt like there was a little more consequence, even if they weren't paying me. Like I, I can't even tell you, like I probably made like a total of a thousand dollars making videos before I like moved to LA because I was really just giving a lot away, a lot of it away for free. Cause back to that uh, topic of like, I didn't think I was like super good enough yet. And uh, mm-hmm. I shot a music video for my friend Trey at the time where I was like, it was the first time I sat down and I was like, okay, what's the story of this video? Like, we're not just going to go out and like shoot a video in front of a cool location and edit it together. Like what story can we tell? And we went to like his hometown of Springfield where he like used to live in a house with like seven other kids. And we like, we really like told the story. And like, it was the first time I used a camera with slow motion. It was the, it was the first time maybe I had used um, a gimbal, like the stabilizer. Yeah. I was the first video I used a drone in and like when all those things clicked, I was like, Oh, and like people saw the video and they're like, this video is dope through the, through the trial and error of just like making videos that I thought were kind of whack. And then like having the pressure of wanting to perform well for my friends was really like the constant stream of like never ending music videos. Like a lot of people will say, uh, Oh, like you want to make videos, like just go out and shoot. And like, yeah, okay, you can do that, but like, what are you gonna shoot? Like a flower? Like you can't like, really film strangers? Like, <laughs> you know, what I mean, I was very fortunate that all my friends made music, so I was like, hey, let me just shoot a video for you, and if it sucks, like you didn't pay me anything, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, you've wasted his time. Yeah, precious time. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah. So from shooting music videos for Raja and and getting it a lot of exposure, whether people know that you're the one that shot it or not, has that helped? get more work? Has that been something you can just stick on, on a resume and say, hey, I shot this video, give me a job? Yes, in a way. I think that like the your average like your average Joe wouldn't be like, oh my God, that's Sean Thomas. He shot the mute video or whatever. <laughs> um, but I think in a lot of like there's been there's been one particular instance where I've gotten hired uh, because somebody like saw my work with Raja and some other South Asian artists and they're like, oh, we're shooting a dance video, South Asian people, we want you to do it. Um, but is the Indian yeah. looking rap video? Mm-hmm. Has that got like 5 million views or something? Yeah. So, so that video, City Slums <laughs> has 7 million views, which is crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, 
that was also like, and you filmed that in LA. No, we filmed it in India. Oh, you went to India. Oh, yeah, I've I've been to India for two months. Um, yeah, that's a story. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's something. But but even that video, like, I think that the tough thing is like seven million views is cool, and like I could be like, oh, this is music video I shot that has seven million views. But there are videos that are fucking horrible that have like hundreds of millions of views, like way worse. Took less time to shoot than than the effort I put in. But the I would say the the exposure comes twofold. One with like the direct connections that you meet with people. Cause like I toured with Raja. So I've met managers, I met label heads, I've met art, other artists and like that has been the big connection. And I think there is a certain level of like renown, uh, where I get to be like, oh, like on paper, I look like an international music video director, right? Like I've directed stuff in India. I've shot in Switzerland. I've shot in Trinidad, like all over the place. Um, that has been the very revealing thing about LA and all this stuff is that it's all kind of like smoke and mirrors in a way. Like the story of me going to India, Raja was going to tour in India and she wanted somebody to film it, like to capture the footage. And uh, because I went with her, we wound up shooting three, four music videos in India and wound up meeting Indian artists. Right. That's not like a super flashy story, but on paper, when you're like, when you just see like, sean thomas visuals on a video that was shot in india that looks big um so whether or not it Mm. translates directly into money i don't i don't think it does but i think a when you tell somebody that a video might cost five thousand dollars and you go well look at what i've shot i think that's Mm. the biggest thing is like in in production like everyone wants to see your reel and when my reel has footage from india and trinidad and whatever that's really where it makes it easier to be like i'm worth something yeah it doesn't hurt let's put it that way yeah definitely so from there, if it wasn't because of uh, work you'd done in the past, how did you manage to get some of these cooler recent gigs with, I think you've mentioned in vlogs like Adidas and I know at E3 yeah. you were working, you did some stuff yeah. with CD Project Red, like yeah. that's awesome. And, and how did that come together? Uh, so those like, they like, unfortunately are not like very flashy stories. There was a kid, um, this is kind of weird. There was a kid from Boston who... I didn't know back in Boston and we just happened to know some mutual people out here. He made an Instagram story of like, I need a director and I've got money. And uh, one of my random friends hit me up and was like, Hey, you can hit this kid up if you want. And uh, I did. And I shot a video for him. And then a couple of weeks after the video was out, he was like, yo, my friend uh, is shooting for nice kicks, which is like a big sneaker uh, store website, whatever. And uh, he's like, they're doing a, sh- a collab with Adidas and they need somebody to shoot it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and like, yeah. so I got to do that. But like through that partnership, like just because of like a kid that I knew, mm. I've shot for Adidas, Nice Kicks, Reebok, like all these things. Uh, like Superman was a part of the Reebok collab. So that was that, the, the fashion stuff, which then led into the thing that I do now consistently, which is work with this company called Threadbeast, which is like a men's subscription box. I do all their Women Crush Wednesday videos. But actually, coincidentally, I just shot. Um, you familiar with Team Ten? You know, like Jake Paul and all those kids. It's Logan Paul's little brother. Oh yeah, yeah I, I know yeah. the Pauls. Yes. Yeah. So he, he had a thing called Team Ten, and a couple of kids that were affiliated with that who now have like millions of Twitch, YouTube, Instagram followers left, and I shot them yesterday for Threadbeast, which is strange. But then the <laughs> CD Project Red one was another. It's actually, this one is vaguely tied back to Raja. Um, when I shot Mute, there was a kid who came along. I don't even know how, but he was there and I met him. And then I, when I moved out to LA, he hired me for a couple of jobs. And then 
in the span of like three weeks, I was hired to shoot a behind the scene or a show recap for Timbaland from this kid. A we went to Coachella and filmed a bunch of Coachella stuff, and then <laughs> this is actually really funny. This is like probably the nerdiest thing that I'll talk about on here, but I get a I get a text from his you know partner who's like, hey, you know, like are you free on June the 11th on Tuesday? Uh, we're shooting at E3, and I was like, yes. Um, what's up? <laughs> and they're like, oh, well, like we're still under NDA. So like, I can't really tell you who we're shooting for. Cause I don't even know, but from what I understand, it's some new, it's a company. The game hasn't really been announced. And it's a, uh, it's like a, it's got a steampunk vibe. And I was like, Hey, is it? <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to come out on a limb here. Is it CD project red? And she was like, I really don't know. Uh, I think the game's called like cyberpunk. And I was like, Oh, it's definitely CD project red. Uh, I was like, and so I was just like, yeah, sure. I'll shoot it. And like, without knowing anything, and uh, it wound up being that we we were hired by the people who did the um, the installation for the event. I don't know if you've seen like people's photos, and I think CD Projekt Red tweeted it out. But they basically yeah. took a meeting room at E3 and like turned it into Night City. Like they they had this whole projection wall where you could see the city, and they had a bar that had all the cans and stuff from the game, and they had cosplayers and like. It was insane, uh, but I actually didn't know until the morning of who we were actually shooting for. And the longer after I had agreed, the longer time went on. I was like, I wonder if it's not CD Projekt Red because because what happened is they showed because I didn't realize that E3 that people had these like meetings behind closed doors at E3. Right. I just thought it was like the convention the whole time. So when after E3, after Cyberpunk got shown at the Microsoft trailer, I was like huh, what if we're not shooting for Cyberpunk? And I've been like super excited and it's going to be some like indie game garbage, <laughs> like indie game. Yeah, exactly. Indie game. I was like, oh man. And then uh, we get there and I ha- and I get the badge that has CD Projekt Red on it. And I'm like, oh man, this is buck wild. Because for me, like I, I am a massive fan of The Witcher. I'm like, I just high fantasy stuff just does it for me. And uh, I was obsessed. And, and like, and you always try to think of like, you know, when I was playing that game three years ago, did I ever think I'd be in the room with the CEO mm. of CD Projekt Red? Like, like just crazy stuff. Yeah. And, uh, but once again, like when I say like, it's always a backdoor thing, right? Like CD Projekt Red didn't hit me up and they weren't like, Hey, you should shoot this thing. It was like, Oh, I knew somebody who works with a company who did the art installation. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, um, but even that we like, I always find this way to like finesse and try to do the thing that we want. So, Nick and I were there to just film the installation. We got there at like 7 a.m. before anyone one else did. And at 11, they decided they had started to do the press viewings. And uh, they wanted us to film crowd reactions. And so we went in there one time and we tried to film reactions, but it was so dark. Yeah. And I was like, we're not going to be able to do this. And then Nick and I were talking. And I was like, so what if we go in there, try to film the reactions, and then just sit there for the demo? <laughs> so we got to see like the one hour demo of cyberpunk which was like oh, man. fucking wild but it like it really comes down to like i say this a lot the unfortunate like reality of of work and this sort of stuff is that like it ultimately comes down to who you know mm. but no one cares who you know if you're not good that's it if i had met raja or like when i met raja like i met her through my friend who's also signed to the same record label as her and just because she knew Megan didn't mean that like I was immediately going to be her video guy. Like 
if I was Megan's friend and she saw my videos were shit, like I wouldn't get hired. Um, if the girl who needed a videographer for CD Project Red had, I had worked for them before and I was bad, like I wouldn't have gotten yeah. hired. So that is like a, a very, it, it's a tough thing to tell people. It's like, look, like it might not work for you if you don't know the right people. But if you work your ass off and like just constantly grind to make the best stuff that you can, and then you meet somebody who can do something for you. Like that, that is like the, the real big key. I think that, but I think a lot of people will focus on the networking side of it and not so much on the like honing your skill side yeah. of it. And it's really yeah. both, isn't it? And even just being in a position where you can meet those people is work in itself. So I, I think yeah. it's easy to kind of yeah. undersell how important that is or how hard it is as well, because it's not just, oh, I was born into this family that knows this person. No, it's right. like you been at the events you've worked with the people you you know didn't keep to yourself you actually were outgoing and shaking hands and interested right. in people's lives to the point that i guess they were interested in yours too yeah and i think that that has been like kind of a tough uh reality for me in la is that like a lot of people out here either have rich parents or or their parents are somebody you know what i mean and that is how people get get mm. ahead and like but i just decided that like I just wasn't going to care. I wasn't going to let that make me sure. not put in the effort, you know? Yeah. And I, I think it's also interesting. You mentioned like the happenstance that's led to being able to say you worked with Adidas or with Sato Project Red. Like it doesn't like once you've done that, it's on your resume. Like you can put that in your Twitter bio. Like I've written right. one article for IGN so I can say <laughs> words at IGN. Right. And that's, that's how it right. works in this thing. Like right. it's all about how it looks and it's right. not like you haven't achieved anything, but you can still use that to kind of boost yourself up because everyone does it. Yeah. It's not like it's a level playing no. field. <laughs> right. Well, dude, like the thing is, I think the saddest thing for me that happened with music uh, was that like the first time I came out here and I found out that... Uh, Basically, uh, you know, the I, I talk about Post Malone. Post Malone is like a great rapper. I love his music, but this whole his whole story, the narrative that the label has crafted, is that he dropped a song on SoundCloud and overnight it blew up. And like that's just not how it happened. And like, <laughs> but when you when you hear that as like a kid, you're like, oh, cool! I'll just put songs on SoundCloud and then I can get famous. And like, no, dude, like that was crafted. People were calling the shots. Like. And, but the story is not as flashy, but at the end of the day, like the story doesn't matter. Honestly, Mm. what matters is like what happened, how you got to where you are. Yeah. Right. Exactly. That's cool. So if you had to say, like sum it up in, in a, in a minute or so, what would be the hardest part of getting to where you are? Oh, uh, not giving up every time like a a minor inconvenience happens. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that the tough thing as a creative is, uh, is taking criticism and, uh, you know, when you do, when somebody, dude, like it just sucks when you make something that you love and someone tells you it, it's trash or, or mm. when you, or even worse, when you work forever on something and it just doesn't translate to how you thought it was yeah. gonna. And you think um, it's trash. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Like, I mean, dude, there have been so many times when I moved to LA, dude, there were four months I was out here. I was like, I made the biggest mistake of my life. I should move home because I was just working on projects that I hated. And that, that was like an important decision for me as a creative and a business person was to be like, actually, like, okay, look at this. I had a per, I had an awesome opportunity shoot a music video for this girl who's got like 800,000 Instagram followers, like could sign to a record label any minute, but they showed me beforehand, uh, what went wrong with the previous music video. And what went wrong was that halfway through, they decided they didn't like it. 
that was it. It wasn't like the fault of the director or anything. Mm. And, uh, and they're like, do you want to direct the video now? And I was like, oh no, definitely not me because I like, I can just see that's going to be a headache from a mile away and it's going to like make me not want to do this anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so I think that the hardest thing has been like, has been the keeping the fire lit of like, this is what you wanted. Like, this is what you worked for. And I think also realizing that, uh, I'm never going to feel satisfied. I think that's like the big problem with creatives is like, I think you just think like, Oh, if I do this, if I get this thing, I'll, like if I get a million views, okay. Like I've had tens of millions of views, like what's next. Cause that didn't do it. Like, and I think the, the, the actual, the realization that best part of being creative is the act of creating. It's not like the rewards you reap or, or even the final product. It's like, hmm. it's the hanging out with your friends, shooting on a beach and like, tripping over a bike and it's it's the sitting up until 2 a.m like tweaking at it until it's perfect um and just and just not giving up like the worst thing that anyone can do who's creative is to get so discouraged that you stop doing it Hmm. and on that note what would be your advice to people who want to direct music videos and make a name for themselves the way that you have work for free a lot Honestly, like the only way, so like I said <laughs> earlier, like I, I don't believe that you can, uh, I don't believe that you can just like take your camera out and shoot like the same way that like, uh, I think the guitarist of Megadeth said that if you want to be, if you want to get better at guitar, play in a band. And, uh, I think about that with, with videos a lot, like work with people, talk to artists, say, Hey dude, I'm starting out new. You're starting out. Uh, let's make something. And also, mm. uh, don't, <laughs> uh, I think it's threefold. Like shoot a lot with whoever you can and for free if you have to. Don't think that landing a video on a celebrity is going to change anything for you because like all that winds up being is more practice. And uh, more than anything, do your research, whether it be on the artist, on the on the demographic you're trying to hit for the video on what effects you want to hit for the video. I've seen a lot of music videos that just don't know what they want to be. And I think that's kind of a problem, but if you do your mm. research and you know what the song is about, what the artist likes, who they're shooting for, you'll create something that everyone can be proud of. Um, and honestly, like when I started with the Trey video, for instance, as soon as I started to be like, okay, what could we actually do with this video? I made one of the best videos I've ever made versus every other one, which is just like, okay, well this time I learned how to set the shutter speed on my camera. What's next? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. You say work for free. I had um, pixel brave on this podcast about a year ago and mm-hmm. we were talking about, you know, some of the video work he does. And uh, I find it interesting. The, the creatives, uh, argument often is that no one should ever work for free but i guess you're looking at that as reps aren't you like not just selling your time or underselling your time but actually just if, yeah. if that's what it takes for you to get the practice that's what you need to do is that how you approach it yeah so it is tough like i don't shoot for free now because i think i'm i'm good enough like i know that my time you're, has value yeah. um and even then, if you never shot said, for free before, you wouldn't be where you are now. Not in a million years, dude. Like, right. I mean, like that's the distinction, yeah. Right, and I, it's, it is different. Like, you would never go to CVS and work for free, right? Like, but that's kind of different. And also, like, maybe it shouldn't matter. But the way I look at it is like, 
with Raja. Like I never wanted to take money from Raja because at a certain point she became my friend. And I was like, I don't like if Nick was like, Hey dude, I need to shoot a video for my band. I wouldn't be like, okay, cool. $5,000. I'd be like, all right, well you're my homeboy. So like buy me lunch or something. Um, when you're dealing with like a corporation, like definitely don't ever work for free. And, and as an established creative, I think that like, maybe it's on the, the person getting the benefits, but oh, let me throw you a hundred bucks or whatever. But, Mm. um, if you want to establish yourself, like you need content and you can't charge people. Like what's your resume? Like, like when you're starting off. Yeah. Right. Like the problem, I think the problem with being creative is like, if I, if I had said to you like, Oh yeah, I've shot videos for Adidas and and CD project red and Roger Kamari. And you couldn't see any of them. You'd be like, okay. Like, why would I want to talk to you? Why would I want to hire you for this thing? Um, but being creative like people want to see your work and a lot of times if you don't work for free when you don't have anything to show for it no one's going to hire you so uh what what was christian's perspective on it he said don't work for free uh no i I think he i mean it was a long time ago now (laughs) i don't remember but i think he was similar in that you know a lot of the stuff he had like all the kind of funny stuff he's just doing that because he loves to do it yeah and um yeah i mean I really would have to go back and listen to it again. But I think that probably similar to you, he he's, he would like to get to a position where maybe he, he might still be in that phase where he's doing stuff for free or he's he's paying people to um, come and act in these short right. films he's doing. But it's, it's difficult because he's not getting any money for it i guess but i don't yeah. want to speak for him it's been a while <laughs> yeah no of, of course and i and i definitely get that like uh i mean it, it's tough and i've i've talked about it myself on like instagram and stuff like i mm. don't i don't believe that people who tell you they can't do okay perfect example i actually don't have any names in the situation so i'm not airing anyone out but somebody hit me up on instagram some dude and was like hey i want you uh what do you charge for a music video and i was like whatever told my charge and he was like oh okay well we were actually looking for like a teammate to work on this thing you know i'm working with this girl she's got a million instagram followers and half a million youtube subscribers and did you know we really want this but we don't have that kind of money and i'm like do you not realize what that looks like because effectively the argument is like hey we're not doing enough to make money for ourselves but hopefully if you work with us you can make money for yourself and it's like what the hell but i also think that a lot of the times as a creative especially like i was reaching out to people and when you're reaching out to people you kind of don't have the leverage right like if somebody Mm. comes to me and goes perfect example like a kid from boston was like what do you charge for a music video i want to work with you like he's he's kind of lost the leverage in that point and i can say oh it costs one million dollars whatever i can say whatever i want um (laughs) and, and and if he thinks it's worth it then he'll pay it but when I go, hey, like, I think your music is sick. I want to shoot a video for you. I don't get to be like, I want it. I want, <laughs> hey, I think your music is sick. I want you to pay me to shoot a music video for you. It's like, uh, no, mm. like it's just, then you're like a weird door-to-door salesman, which like that model yeah. died for a reason <laughs> because like no one likes that shit. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's the trouble is like when you're a new creative and you're soliciting work, you're asking mm. people to work for them. I I don't think you get then get to be like, also pay me. That's kind yeah. of a, a tough situation. <laughs> if you're listening, Pixel Brave, let us know what you think on Twitter. <laughs> Shoot a little video and, uh, and oh, tell true. us That'd what, what your thoughts are now. It's uh, 
it's 2018. Your views might have changed. <laughs> and and I, may, I may have completely mis- uh, misremembered what happened anyway. So, Sean, last question I've got for you is, if you could do anything and know that you wouldn't fail, what would you do? Oh, man. Um, you know, I, I heard somebody ask that the other day, and I started to think about it for a minute. Um, give me an example of what people have said. Maybe that'll spark my creativity. <laughs> uh, sometimes people will just say, like, the dream project they've got. Mm. or something that they would love to do even if it's nothing to do with their field. So, Blessing, Eddie Oye, or someone like that said they wanted to be a rapper. Actually, it was right. him and Roger Picorni. They both said they wanted to be rappers. Huh. And then you've got people that just say they want to keep doing what they're doing, but mm. successfully. Right. <laughs> so, what, what would it um, be for you? I guess, like, weird, like, okay, like, in terms of, like, soliciting work, right? Like, if I had a connection with, like, Drake's manager and I could, like, shoot, like, tour coverage for drake oh my god fucking love it that would be like one of the tightest things in the world yeah um like for a documentary or for like a live video or live video like social media like tour yeah exactly like tour stuff yeah um something like that would be cool i mean like the tough thing is i when i hear people say like they want to be a rapper they want to be a streamer or whatever like that's like a tough thing for me because i'm like you can just do that if you want like no one's stopping you like the only person stopping you from doing that is you being afraid that someone's gonna make fun of you and uh, let me tell you, being like a 15-year-old white rapper well, got made fun of a lot. So I got over that pretty quickly. <laughs> um, so I think that like, you know, if there's any project I work on, man, working on anything with like someone of that caliber, like Drake or whether it's music or video, whatever, like that would be wild. That would be yeah. unreal. It's interesting that you pick working with people like that rather than like being that person <laughs> as, um, as a rapper like is it something where you have gone to the other side where you prefer to be behind the camera than in front of it no i would definitely like to be it but like it when you say like if you could do anything and not fail what would you do like yeah i mean like, i guess i'd like want to be like one of the biggest rappers in the world but like i don't hmm i don't know i guess like i the way i view that question is like I don't know. I guess I'd be Superman if I could do nothing, if I could do anything. But like, what's like a realistic yeah. thing I could do right now, I guess, um, sure. without failing, you know? Um, yeah, you know, I'll have to think about that one and, and maybe uh, update you. Sure. You can um, reply to Christian's tweet with, <laughs> with your own video. Sounds like a plan. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Sean. It's been cool. And uh, we didn't even get into all the AVU stuff, but if people want to hear that, they can listen to Nick's episode last year. <laughs> oh, true. Yeah, AVU is a whole different thing. Well, yeah. dude, thanks for having me. This is a blast. Yeah, it's cool, man. And I uh, hopefully I'll I'll see you touring with Drake at some stage. Dude, hey, that's the plan. <laughs> we'll be in Australia soon. Thank you for listening, and thanks to Audio Technica. That was Sean Thomas, who you can find on Twitter at x Sean Thomas. Check out some of his work over at xshawnthomas.com. If you enjoy the podcast and want to help out the show, you can leave a review in iTunes. That goes a really long way. You can also check out some sweet putting in work merch over at 8bit.net slash B-I-W. That's A-T-E-B-I-T. And of course, while you're there, don't forget to check out the awesome podcast content from the 8-Bit Collective. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Jono himself. And until next week, keep putting in work.